Hey, Steve. Hello, Brett Starr. How are you today, my friend? I'm good. Spring is springing here in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, same here. What about this time change thing? Like, that one caught me by surprise. You know, um, I'm I'm squarely in the faction of daylight savings time is bullshit. Yeah. And... Um, so yeah, I'm not a big not a big fan of of spring forward. Yeah, it's it's moment has passed, and I noticed that like you know every few years a politician will like shorten it by a little bit and a little bit more, and so it's definitely not what it used to be when you and I were growing up. Um, yeah. I don't know why they just don't uh, ditch it altogether. Well, if you live in like Arizona, they don't they don't observe such uh, quaint traditions as daylight savings time. Yeah, we've got folks in uh, Chile, and uh, their time zone changes like 15 times a year or something. <laughs> it's like sometimes it's a four-hour time difference, sometimes it's zero and everything in between. I don't really understand what's going on there. I need to dig down a little deeper. But, uh, yeah, time is a funny thing. In our and a relative construct. Yeah. Well, hey, I wanted to talk about the Employee Engagement Market Map 2022 today. All right, let's do it. And I wanted to talk about it on many levels because uh, this uh, report that uh, you and a team put out uh, marks a real shift in strategy for, um, you know, what I think the rest of the world would probably call analyst reports. You know, how yeah. our analyst reports are being delivered to market. Mm -hmm. And so before we talk specifically about the employee engagement uh, market map, uh, let's talk a little bit about the history, which started with Brandscapes. And so mm -hmm. we used to release Brandscapes. Tell, tell us a little bit about how Brandscapes work and uh, what they were intended to do. Yeah, the whole idea behind the Brandscape was to provide a mechanism for uh, people in the, when we started them, the HR tech market, and now what we call the work tech market, uh, give them a mechanism for understanding what is going on in the entire uh, landscape of brands uh, across categories. A lot of times, you know, and, and you and I see this all the time in talking to founders and teams internally at companies, they have, of course, they're, you know, very close up to what's going on in their own organization. They might have line of sight into, you know, a field of companies that they're competitive with, but when it gets kind of like, you know, broader than that, they don't really necessarily have a clear vision of where where do I fit in, what is going on, and what is kind of the broad uh, picture within the industry. And so the whole reason we came up with uh, the Brandscapes were uh, an attempt to provide that context yeah. and perspective that, you know, as we go through our work and we're talking to you know, literally hundreds of brands every year, you know, on a, on a very personal one-to-one -one level. And we do a lot of reading and interacting with, um, you know, the uh, information that comes in over the door and the, the media we consume and those kind of things. We felt like um, we had uh, a position to offer that perspective better than uh, most other entities out there. Yeah. And I want to drill down to that in a moment, just like how this stuff gets done and, you know, um, our bottom up approach to things and, um, you know, why we're kind of uniquely positioned to do this. But uh, 
When was the first uh, Brandscape? Um, what, what year was that that you put it out? Wow. It was 2014, I think. 2014. Maybe 2013. Holy yeah, so we've been cow. doing this for almost 10 years. Wow. And um, at the time, you know, these Brandscapes, uh, which have now become market maps, and we'll talk about why, they were largely aimed at people in the work tech industry. So they weren't uh, for HR people. They were actually for vendors and, you know, consultants and analysts and stuff like that to try to, um, you know, uh, we wanted to help, you know, kind of define the different, um, you know, categories and shifts and categories and trends that were going on. Um, and uh, you had a really novel, um, you know, kind of model at the time which is that uh, we've had this theory. It's not a theory. We've proven it over and over and over again, but uh, it started as a theory, and then we did a lot of research to prove it, that brand performance actually has, um, uh, you know, a significant impact on uh, market share and leadership and stuff like that, uh, usually within like 18 months to, you know, a couple of years. Uh, if you measure brand recognition within a, you know, a specific area of the market, that brand recognition mm -hmm. becomes predictive of market share um, within a, a short period of time. And uh, you were really looking at, if I remember correctly, um, uh, power brands and velocity brands. And, um, you know, uh, describe a little bit about the, you know, difference between those two and why it was important. Yeah, the so you know what we wanted to do was we we spent some time putting together an algorithm that gathered publicly available information combined with a lot of our social listening tools that we have on site to look at things like you know what is sort of the online footprint of a brand uh everything from you know how many social media followers do you have to you know press releases to earn media coverage to what are your customers saying about you on review sites and things yeah. like this and really try to put it into a um, um, a force ranked um, uh, um, number that yeah. allowed you to compare different brands and one of the things we realized is that there are certain you know what we call the power brands that are always going to be more or less the same and you're not going to see a lot of movement. So it's just like, yeah, you know, uh, Oracle, SAP, Workday, they're yeah. always going to be right up there at the top. And so I don't think that, you know, where we, well, we rapidly kind of ended up was that was not as insightful yeah. um, um, in, in, in within a given snapshot of any moment in time. Although as we saw changes throughout the years, we saw some, very dramatic shifts from when we started kind of doing that um, in 2016, 2017 to um, the past few years is, you know, really we saw the HR tech market evolve into the work tech market. But we also felt it would be helpful to um, highlight the velocity brands, these brands that come out of nowhere and suddenly everybody's talking about. And so we wanted uh, a mechanism for kind of capturing both things within um, the scope of our brandscape. And a lot of times when you're looking at any, you know, analyst group report, if you're looking at a, like a, uh, a Gartner MQ, it's just like, at the end of the day, that's somebody's opinion. We wanted to turn this into something that's objective data that we yeah. could just say the numbers are what the numbers are. We're, you know, we feel like we have this calibrated, right. And we're just gathering the data and, and there it is.
Yeah. Well, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, kind of important things to point out here. Um, you've got a, a, you know, a great, um, uh, statement in the, uh, market map, which we're going to get to in a moment, but it's like, basically when you go out and, and uh, the team goes out and they look at like how, um, vendors are grouped together on like G2 and stuff like that, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Yeah. But the model that you're describing around velocity brands and power brands, I think initially uh, a lot of people thought um, that we were like trying to measure marketing performance for organizations. And this kind of goes mm-hmm. back to product delusion um, and uh, some content that we, uh, you know, talked about uh, over the last several weeks where, you know, people uh, often feel like, you know, the best product wins. And we know for a fact it you know, it doesn't. It's, you know, the right. company that's able to execute. And so we were looking at brand performance, not as a, you know, kind of, you know, marketing, you know, um, uh, grading marketing performance in a vacuum, but because it it's the most predictive of, you know, what companies end up becoming the leaders and kind of defining, um, you know, the path of innovation in the marketplace, if they're velocity brands or just, you know, kind of what the mainstream looks like uh, from a power mm-hmm. brand perspective. And I remember um, we were at... Um, Achievers uh, uh, user conference. It was called ACE. I can't remember what ACE stands for. This was a long time ago. Um, do you remember what ACE stands for? Like achieve, oh, Achievers, Achievers customer. customer Event. Yeah, there you go. There you go <laughs> it was too obvious. And uh, we were surprised because, um, and, uh, you know, you relayed the story to me. I can't remember if we were together or not. Uh, but you relayed the story to me because, um, you know, we had in initially intended uh, those brandscapes to be for, um, you know, uh, insiders in work tech. And you were sitting at a table with a very large company who said, thank you for doing the brandscapes. We used it to create our RFP and to guide our evaluation of solutions. What was that company? Mm-hmm. It was a big one. Um, if we're going to name names, it was General Motors. General Motors. That's right. And what we've realized yeah. over uh, the years is that the brandscapes, uh, the audience for those is, you know, just as likely to be uh, HR people leading product evaluations um, as yeah. it is, uh, you know, um, vendors who sell in the space or consultants or whatever. And um, the other thing that, you know, I want to point out, I've always had, there's a couple of things. I've always had a love-hate relationship with brandscapes. Mostly love, because I love, 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 love them, and they're amazing, um, you know, um, uh, projects that take a lot of resources and a lot of time, Mm -hmm. but they're so good, they're so damn good, (laughs) that often people read them and mistake us for an analyst group. And uh, while we are this weird, you know, kind of mashup of analysts and consultants and marketing folks and, you know, just a bunch of different people and what's, you know, quickly approaching a hundred person organization is probably going to get larger than that um, pretty soon. You know, we're really focused on, uh, you know, just kind of a wide range of customer experience, like uh, brand experience and marketing experience and sales experience and product experience and increasingly moving into other experience domains. And so these things were so good. And they were so widely read that we would, uh, I remember, you know, a couple of years after we'd just been, um, you know, dutifully putting these things out, uh, or you, um, that we just started getting uh, calls from people who wanted to brief us so that they could be included in, uh, you know, kind of the next, um, you know, brandscape. And, uh, you know, that, while great, that was awesome. I was also like, well, yeah, we should also tell them that we, you know, sell stuff, <laughs> you know, like marketing stuff. Yeah. But I yeah. say that tongue in cheek because they've been so successful that there's a big segment of the market out there that thinks that um, this is what we do for a living is, uh, you know, uh, analyst group. But, um, you know, the, the follow on to that 
is the quality uh, of these reports and the way that we're put together, uh, the way they're put together. Um, you know, these things would cost thousands and thousands of dollars if we sold them. And uh, what mm-hmm. what do we sell them for, Steve? Zero. Zero dollars. <laughs> we give them away. Give them away. It's either a brilliant idea or an incredibly stupid idea. Well, I think that we're learning it's a pretty brilliant idea. You know, 10 years later, it's like suddenly and gradually, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I've been I've been in content for uh, many decades now, longer than I care to admit. I'll, I'll just admit it, it's 30. And, you know, we've seen a shift where it's just like content wants to be free. People do not yeah. want to pay for content. No. And um, I think that um, ultimately, you know, in a market that is noisy with content coming in from all angles of varying degrees of quality. If you're saying something that's worth saying and you say it with a high degree of quality in the execution, that's the, that's the moment you're trying to achieve. And if we're doing our job right, it comes back to us in terms of work. And we've seen that proved out, you know, many, many, many times there where the brandscape is the entry point for um, a, a relationship that can go on to, uh, be a significant years long relationship with a client. Yeah. Well, I want to, um, you know, point out a couple of things as we go along in the conversation, but we're not doing brandscapes anymore. Um, you know, you switch to market maps and, uh, why, what was wrong with the brandscape? Uh, what, it looks like you had an epiphany. Um, and so why are we doing market maps now? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, um, I also have a love hate relationship with these brandscapes. Um, it's, uh, we love doing them and we love the, the kind of the impact that they have, the, the buzz factor, you know, the uh, brand benefit we get out of it. It's just, they are incredibly time and labor intensive to produce. It's just like a lot of people think that this is something that I'm doing all on my own yeah. and I don't. It's just like, it, it takes an entire team of people to craft this. And you look at the end of any brandscape, we've got a, an extensive amount of credits. It goes, you know, from, you know, various iterations, we have inputs from all number of smart people in our agency. And then, you know, we've got all of these brilliant designers and developers um, who have created our proprietary light paper product that we build it in. And so it really is a team effort, but it takes yeah. just hundreds and hundreds of hours to produce a brandscape. Well, let me, let me, let me pause you there uh, because I want to drill into that a little bit. How big is the core team that puts this together? Because I don't think people, you know, realize like a lot of analyst groups out there are two or three people, right? And we're a a big, a pretty big organization that's growing and we put a lot of folks on this. So how big is the core team that works on this, uh, on, on these multiple market maps that are going to come out? You know, on an average, it's like 12 to 15. I th- I'd have to go back and kind of look at the uh, the credits. We try to mention everybody in it, but it's just like, you know, one of the things we do um, as part of our uh, internal review process is we do a company-wide peer review. Yeah. So literally everybody in the, pump, the company gets to read it, poke yeah. holes in it, weigh in on it, and offer value. And what we find is that that process of poking holes and challenging makes for a stronger end product. And it yeah, wouldn't so, be nearly a stronger product if it was one person's vision. So 12 to 15 people making direct contributions and then peer reviewed by, you know, as many as like 80 people, right? So there's a lot yeah. of people contributing effort. And the second thing I wanted to point it out is uh, that I wanted to point out is that this is an interactive 
um, uh, market map. It's not a PDF, you know, white paper situation. Uh, this is an interactive digital asset that is delivered on a patented technology product that we developed called the light paper uh, with an L. And uh, we did that, you know, uh, Mercer was on that, uh, you know, like years and years ago. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's like one of those things I look at, I'm like, well, you know, that was a product we could have spun out and become a hundred million dollar company. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, and that was homegrown innovation. We did. It's mm -hmm. not like we, we sat there and like told the team, go build this. You know, that was, Michael Mercer, our director of technology and a number of other people on the team identifying a problem, which was, you know, PDFs suck yeah. and specifically PDFs suck when you're trying to read them on a, on a mobile device, let's yeah. go fix that and make it responsive and interactive. And I think we're on like generation three of that product yeah. and it just keeps getting better and better and better. And, and one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about this, cause we also sell these to uh, our, our customers, you know, everything from developing the content, yep. doing the creative and the interactive to developing and, and feel these things is, uh, they have a really long tail as a, um, lead gen and demand generation device. I mean, literally we are closing deals off of, you know, light papers that are six or seven years old. And yeah. that keep coming up and in, in, in organic search and lead people to us. And they're like, Hey, I need to do business with these guys. Yeah. And clearly we're going to drop a link to this in the description so that people can okay. check it out. But, um, it's just more functional than a PDF in only like a million ways. So for instance, you can embed tweet outs, you can have people automatically, you know, connect with their social media networks, um, and share content from the reports online but it can also be plugged into your MarTech stack and you can actually get analytics, uh, around, uh, you know, how people are engaging with it, how deep they go into it. Um, you know, you can put, uh, forms, uh, you know, in mid flow so that maybe they read half the content and then have to sign up for the other half or whatever. And so it's just more useful. Um, and it doesn't require, it's, it's basically our own no code, low code, you know, product. Um, and then we're also able to provide, um, you know, all the content creative services to really make it sing. Uh, but enough about us, enough about how awesome the light paper is and how everyone should have one. And the fact that we deliver those, uh, you know, for clients. So we were talking about why you switched from the concept of brandscape to market map. Yeah. And I mean, it was, um, it was sort of twofold, um, Number one is when you look at what's, you know, the component parts of a brandscape are, uh, they were the data aggregation for the lists, um, uh, a lengthy, you know, trends report for what's going on in the industry, uh, a, a trends report for what's going on within marketing in the industry, making very direct recommendations. And um, as such, it takes a long time to produce like the lead time and production time on a, on a brandscape is six months minimum. And I think that what we're all seeing in kind of the post 2020 world is this is a market that is evolving and changing very rapidly. And I think that just keeping up with the pace of change is something that we can't take that long to develop, um, an asset. And so that was, that was epiphany. Number one, we need to be faster. Number two, it was like, you know what, these, these 
brandscapes are overbuilt. And so one of the things that we were getting consistent feedback on, um, especially kind of going back to the well-being brandscape, we got so much feedback on that. People saying, you know what, the way that you drew the market map in that brandscape, for the first time, I finally understand how this entire category functions and how it's put together. Yeah. And so, and, and our, when we were debriefing with the sales team and they were talking about the feedback that they were getting through the conversations they're having every day and the way that they're interacting on social media and phone calls and emails and things like that, that was really the number one takeaway. And so one of the things we decided is let's focus more on getting a series of market maps out, just the market maps component, and we can break out the other parts, the marketing trends, the work tech trends into separate reports. So that would allow us to move faster, but also provide more of that context that we knew that the market was hungry for, especially at a moment of rapid change. Yeah. And, you know, one of the carryovers from the brandscape that I think was really, um, you know, sharpened in the market map was, you know, everybody wants, especially analysts, to uh, fit everything into little boxes, uh, little boxes on yeah. the hilltop. Little boxes yep. made a ticky tack. Is that how that song mm -hmm. goes? Little boxes on the hillside. That was weeds, anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. And prior to that, I think a folk song. Um, yeah. but um it's not that clean. And uh, especially mm -hmm. now where, you know, category definition is in flux because we're in the middle of a new organizing principle that's um, you know, introducing new combinations of features and, you know, functionality that doesn't neatly fit into the box that's next to the other box that's next to the other box and all that stuff. And uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about the uh, brandscape and I think has been sharpened a lot in the market map is like, look, it's a messy market and things fit together in messy ways. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe let's focus on, um, you know, um, that messiness instead of trying to tame it. Uh, and I think it gives a much more accurate view of how all this stuff works together and uh, causes people to understand how, you know, certain solutions are the confluence of multiple, you know, categories. And I was talking to somebody um, uh, who was, uh, you know, working with Gartner recently, and they said even Gartner is like changing the way they do everything because they see that, um, you know, this uh, typical you know, uh, taxonomy of market categories as if it's like the animal kingdom just doesn't really work to accurately capture, um, you know, where companies fit. And then I think, I think to one of the points that you made in, in this market map and teammates is that this is why G2 and, um, you know, uh, sites like that suck is because they're, mm -hmm. you know, just trying to push a square peg into a round hole over and over and over again. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know vendors are frustrated as well because those review sites are very important, especially in the mid market and they have to go in and pick the little box that they go into. And they're always disappointed right. that that little box doesn't accurately capture, you know, who they are and what they do. Um, so uh, really, really uh, just a, 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 a view of how, um, you know, markets are organized. That is in my opinion, a much better match to the true chaos <laughs> that exists in yeah. the market. Um, while still offering people that sense of psychological comfort that, you know, things, you know, can be located on a map, you know, it's just the map, you know, kind of has some overlapping territories and, you know, stuff like that. Well, within different kind of like contexts, a product provides, um, a different level of value. And I think we're trying to embrace that complexity 
while still trying to make everything digestible and easy enough to understand, like in the engagement landscape where we're talking about what's going on with employee communications and what's going on with well-being vis-a-vis employee engagement, knowing that there's going to be a separate employee communication landscape. There's going to be a separate uh, well-being landscape that is more about kind of the core use cases around that. But these solutions still are contextually relevant um, uh, against the employee engagement um, use case or 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 user benefit. And so, yeah. let's let's address that, knowing that you're going to have different categories appear as, you know, bigger or smaller circles within different market maps. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking over here on this other monitor because I'm actually reading through um, the uh, market map as uh, we're having this conversation. This one is all about employee engagement. Um, You know, people probably haven't, you know, necessarily used that label uh, in a long time. Um, And uh, Mm -hmm. y'all make this point uh, in, in the market map. Um, what's the relationship? Let's get into some of the content. What's the relationship between employee engagement and employee experience? And, uh, what, what, uh, insights are, are you bringing to the table here? Well, I think that, you know, we've, this is, I think the third employee experience or employee engagement focused report that we've done. We've done a couple of other employee experience mm-hmm. focused reports. And I think that when you kind of rewind to, sort of the genesis of, you know, uh, the employee engagement category, which, as we point out in this this uh, report, doesn't really exist and never really existed. Uh, it was really more of a use case than a category. Um, there was, I think, you know, you go back to the 2015, 2016 timeframe where we kind of defined, you know, what is, um, uh, what are the component parts of employee engagement? We focused on recognition and reward solutions, workplace well-being solutions, and then engagement measurement solutions. And um, you know, really, that whole idea was, you know, how do we, you know, engage employees, tap into that disc- discretionary effort so they are, you know, a productive and innovative, but b less likely to um, self-select out uh, and find another position because they're not engaged in what they're doing here. And so for a lot of the kind of the 2010 to 2020 timeframe, that was really kind of the context of we need to find ways as employers to engage our employees. But I think that, you know, very much in this 2016, 2017 timeframe, there was sort of an artificial uh, uh, dichotomy constructed of, oh, it's not really employee engagement, it's employee experience. And so, those were sort of artificially set up as uh, mutually exclusive and opposing terms, which, as we know, is is not 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 true, not correct. Yeah. But be, and then I think that when you got into 2018, 2019, um, it became very clear that employee experience was something that employers everywhere were looking at as they were trying to find um, better uh, digital solutions that they could create a better experience for employees so that they could be more productive, that they could be more engaged in their work. Um, Really looking at completely turning over what was going on within sort of the people tech stack. Then of course, COVID hit and uh, we saw the entire market kind of um, uh, tumble over itself to overcorrect toward 
employee experience. And at mm -hmm. the same time, we saw employee engagement hit kind of record levels. Um, then over the past, say, six months, we're seeing employee engagement then dip again. Yeah. So it seemed like employee engagement was not as relevant. And then, you know, of late, uh, there's sort of a newfound um, belief that, no, we really do need to pay as much attention to the engagement uh, component as we do the experience component. Yeah, great insight. And everybody wants to tie it to the great resignation now, right? And so that's another yeah. big, um, you know, kind of uh, theme uh, out there. But I want to go on a rant uh, for just a moment, if uh, you can, if you can allow me to. Um, we're kind of like the band's band or the comedian's comedian, you know, when it comes to content like yeah, this. Yeah, we're, we're the Velvet Underground. That's right. So uh, we've been putting this stuff out for years. Uh, we've been predicting trends, um, you know, years before anyone else and have a long history of those trends playing out um, in very similar ways to, you know, uh, the way we predict them. And it's not rocket science. I mean, we've got a market development model. We know how this stuff, you know, kind of has worked uh, from, you know, market segment to market segment, uh, market segment over the last like 30 years. And it's just like, it's a pattern that always repeats itself. So if you have that pattern and you're looking at, you know, you've got this bottom up resource that we have where we have nearly a hundred people who are talking to work tech vendors every day, either because they're working with, uh, with them directly in a client relationship or they're having sales calls with them, or we're taking briefings, or we're doing bottom-up research um, of, you know, just wanting to know everyone that's in a category so that we can get a good read of what the expectations for that uh, category are. We've got a lot of resources applied uh, to uh, gaining information and applying that to models that we know that work. And so it bugs the hell out of me that people then take our stuff and go out and, uh, you know, basically like reproduce the same diagrams, use the same models and look as the velvet underground, we get it. Okay. Do it, do it, take our stuff because we're trying to move the industry forward and we want to help as much as possible. Just cite us, you know, it's like journalism 101. If you're going to steal our shit, you know, just cite us and then it's not stealing anymore. You know, it's like academic at that point. You know, it's like right. we, we would love to be a footnote in your report if you're going to rip off our entire fucking model, you know, which is I'm not directing this at any single person. There's like 10 groups and people out there who, you know, devour our stuff. And within weeks, I guarantee you, go out and read this market map. And then about uh, 10 to 12 weeks from now, you'll see a lot of people, you know, with very similar diagrams saying very similar things and having very similar quotes and press releases, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. Just cite us. That's all. Is that fair, Steve? You're, you've yeah, been a journalist that, that, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's fair. And I think that, um, you know, when you look at, you know, what's going on and what has been going on in this market over the past decade, it's just like, you know, we're all learning from each other. And it's just like one of the things that we have tried to do is give credit where credit is due. There are a number of super smart people that we learn from all the time. And we, you know, we, we really try to go out of our way to link to them. So it's just like yeah. if we're reading something in a Josh Burson report, we're learning from yep. that. And, hey, we'll send the link to that. Or if we read something Absolutely. in a Brandon Hall report or, or something yep. talking to like, a Mike Rochelle or a David Wentworth over there. Yeah, it's just like we're going to give credit where credit's due or, or 
Red Thread Research with mm -hmm. Danny and Stacia or, you know, mm -hmm. what have you, you know, uh, uh, Sarah White over at Aspect 43. It's just like we want to give credit where credit's due because yeah. it's just like we're all we're all learning from each other. It's like, yeah. you know, to, to draw another rock and roll analogy is like, you know what? The Beatles and the Beach Boys were listening to each other's records and they were trying yeah. to outdo each other. And it's just like that's that's just how we all get better is we are are constantly pushing and pushing and trying to uh, drive innovation within sort of the perspective generating sense making function of this thing that we do. Yeah. And I just think I totally agree. Um, there's just a right way to do it. And, you know, what I would tell people um, is that if you are, and not just us, because, uh, you know, we usually know what the source uh, is, the original source of a perspective or whatever, because we read everything and we're friends with all these folks. Uh, and so I see people copying, you know, other people's stuff as well. Just know that that's undermining your business <laughs> because, you know, basically when we're talking uh, with literally the hundreds of vendors that we're talking to on a weekly basis and they point to some insight that you're claiming as your own and we say, oh, yeah, well, here's the original uh, source of that. It's Red Thread. Here's the original source of that. It's Josh Burson. Here's the original source for that two years earlier. It's a Brandscape from 2016 from the Star Conspiracy. It just undermines your business. So just keep it above board. And if you are part of the discourse, as we used to say in academia many, many decades ago, if you're part of the discourse, acknowledge the other people in the discourse instead of trying to position yourself as the, you know, like sole uh, think tank uh, for, you know, uh, all of these sources that you're pulling information uh, from that you're adding to, I'm sure. Uh, but you're not doing yourself, uh, you know, any favors and you're not doing the market any favors by not opening up the entire, uh, you know, kind of bibliography of sources that you may have consumed in order to derive your unique insights. Um, because uh, people, um, you know, have the, uh, the right and um, responsibility to draw from multiple sources when they're making an important decision. Um, so anyway, rant over, but you know, it's just, I didn't, I didn't mention any names. I bet you're surprised. I didn't mention any names, but, um, you know, I just, I felt the need as another, uh, market map is going out to just bitch a little bit about how often we get ripped off. Well, that's fine. I mean, I think that it's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely a believer in the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that when you, you know, this is something that our uh, esteemed colleague, Tony Spangler, uh, with our public relations and analyst relations practice, talks about. The reason that you as a vendor need to give a briefing to an analyst is they can be evangelizing your concepts or they can be evangelizing someone else's concepts. Yeah. And at the end of the day, one of the things that, you know, uh, I'm not really wrapped up about, you know, who who gets credit, who doesn't or whatever. I think that at the end of the day, a lot of the ideas that we have been putting out in the market for better part of a decade now, we see being ahead of the curve. We see being adopted uh, in terms of the nomenclature and the lexicon of how the market talks about itself. And so we, we've been validated. We know that yeah. the content that we're putting out there for the express purpose of just being educational is having an impact. And so at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're achieving 
what we're trying to achieve, and uh, we're helping be part of that rising tide lifting the boats. And so, you're absolutely yeah, right. We're good. A, you know, I try to walk through life with an abundance mindset, uh, but on this point, I am much more petty than you are. <laughs> I'm just, you know. I'm tired of walking into like board meetings and uh, having, uh, you know, uh, someone's opinion presented to me that is clearly taken from work that we've done, like word for word, like just pure plagiarism. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I'm over it. Moving on. Um, let's just, uh, you know, close with, um, you know, uh, my just appreciation. I hope everyone um, who listens to this and uh, follows us on uh, social media and our newsletters and everything. This is just as applicable to HR people um, as it is to, you know, uh, vendors and consultants and all that stuff. Um, a lot of work went into it. A lot of people worked on it. Great job, Steve. Uh, great job, team. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm always flattered when someone says, wow, you did a great job on that new, you know, report that came out, or I love your newsletter. I'm like, yeah, I just read it too. It's fantastic because I had nothing to do with it because <laughs> I would mess everything up and slow everything down. Um, but it's just such a, you know, a, a great feeling to know that so many people value uh, the content that comes out of the Star Conspiracy so much. Um, and you're part of a, you know, a big team of people who are doing it, but you've been doing it. Uh, I mean, back when, uh, before we got religion around, you know, one team and, uh, you know, few departments and lots of flow and, uh, you know, all that stuff, you actually ran a division in, uh, the star conspiracy called the intelligence unit and the intelligence unit was set up to create content like this. And that's, this is the living legacy of what the intelligence unit was. And, uh, I know in my heart that we would not be nearly as successful or nearly as broadly known around the world. Uh, for our impact on work tech, were it not for the attention and drive and passion that you brought for work content uh, to the Star Conspiracy. And we've only been working together uh, for how long now? 13 years? 13 no, years. No, 14 years in April. 14 years. Almost in April. 14 years here in two weeks. It'll be 14 years. Well, here's and we've to been the next drinking together years. even longer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, funny story about Steve and I, we met running a political uh, campaign um, or at least contributing uh, heavily to it. I think at some point we became the de facto campaign managers. Yeah. Um, but uh, our candidate got 3% of the vote. So I always say, if you want 3% of the vote, be sure to hire me and Steve and we'll help you. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, how Political consultancy, not in the cards for us. Not, no, no. <laughs> No, no. Truth doesn't matter as much there as it does in work tech, ironically. <laughs> but let's not get political. Yeah, anyway, let's, let's man, not go there. Yeah, I am so deeply um, appreciative. I think this is excellent work. I hope everyone takes the time to read it. I was going to say download it, but we haven't been getting people to download shit for, you know, like years since we invented this light paper thing. Uh, so uh, just go check out this amazing, immersive digital experience around uh, employee engagement and uh, the market map for 2022 and a shout out to the probably hundred, you know, work tech vendors who are listed in that report and a big shout out to all of the, you know, people from copy to research to creative to, uh, you know, marketing uh, and everyone in between who uh, put this together. It's a huge um, project. A lot of work goes into it and uh, it's really meaningful and uh, we wouldn't send it out there uh, unless, you know, uh, we believed in it um, because we feel like we have a responsibility um, uh, to get things right. 
Um, and so uh, we hope you uh, give it a shot. Check it out. Absolutely. And I want to give us, I want to give a, a, a special shout out to one member of our, our Brandscape team who is, or not Brandscape, our market map team, really our entire marketing team who is instrumental and, and toils relentlessly behind the scenes for very little recognition, but is uh, really a, um, uh, a force to be reckoned with. And that is Ray Liberio. He Ray. is the, he is the imagination behind a lot of the eccentric graphic design that we have. Yeah. And um, he really leaves it all on the field when it comes to coming up with uh, a lot of these uh, visual articulations in uh, the market maps and other marketing materials. And not only is he a, a very talented designer, he is also an honest to God, Texas punk rock legend. He is rock he's been star. In a number he's a of very, he, he is, he is literally a rock star mm -hmm. and uh, he is uh, a, an amazing human being on top of that. So Ray, I salute you, sir. Same here. You know, uh, Ray also uh, does our employee of the month, um, you know, posters, which have, uh, you know, they're the stuff of uh, lore and legend uh, over uh, the years because they're so hilarious. He's also the person who uh, designed a lot of the um, graphics that we use for the Hey Brett Star podcast. Um, so when you want, uh, you know, he's part of a big creative team and they're all amazing. Uh, Ray does the really weird shit. <laughs> that is just, you know, that's really, the greatest really compliment you could give to Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Ray. Uh, and uh, thank you, everyone who worked on this. And I uh, hope you uh, um, enjoy reading it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Brett. Catch you next time on Catch The Price is Right. Hey, Brett Star. Hey, oh. Brett Star. <laughs>